I, I want to begin with the story down in Brunswick, uh, Ahmaud Arbery uh, being killed. Have you? I don't even want to watch the video. I read what happened in the video. This is not a good situation. In fact, I, I will tell you, I got an email from a listener from Brunswick. He doesn't live down in Brunswick now, but he's from Southeast Georgia. And he is, um, his name is Greg McMichael. The shooter in the Arbery case is also, uh, is Gregory McMichael. And Greg McMichael and his family are getting death threats and harassment uh, because he shares the same name as the older gentleman who gunned down uh, Ahmad Arbery. I've got to, I want to be careful how I tread here because we do need the disclaimer up front. Uh, We have seen situations in the past where uh, YouTube video, camera video, video has shown us something that looked outrageous and it turned out later not to be. And so you need to have that up front. Uh, This is the outrage comes based on what happened and also on a YouTube video that corroborates what happened. And we have seen situations in the, like this in the past. And, and so I want to say that up front to say I have not watched. I don't, I don't like to watch these sorts of videos. I don't want that stuff in my head. But I have talked to plenty of people who saw the video who I respect, including people in law enforcement. And there's just no other way to explain this than what would back in the day be referred to as a lynching. Horrific, horrific stuff. A young black man is jogging down the road and two men chase him, are yelling at him, begin to shoot at him. There is a scuffle and they kill him. The older gentleman uh, is has been in law enforcement and is an investigator now for the district attorney. The district attorney's recused herself. Another district attorney has recused themselves. Someone else recused themselves after staking out the position that uh, this was a citizen's arrest and and a lawful use of a a citizen's arrest power, uh, which is a nonsensical uh, situation here. You, You undermine citizen's arrest statutes by saying, in this case, Uh, With this video, I'm going to have to watch it, aren't I? Um, You you undermine that situation by using citizen's arrest. Now, for those of you, let me give you the backstory here. There were a series of break-ins in Brunswick, Georgia. An older man and his son saw uh, Ahmad Arbery, and I I apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name, Ahmad Arbery jogging down the road. The father believed that Arbery was someone he had seen the night before who had his hand down his pants as if he had a gun. They concluded that he was probably the person responsible for the break-ins and wanted to ask him questions, and they began to pursue him as he was jogging. He had a regular routine of jogging, of, of running. He was not running from anything. He was running as exercise. And the man and his son stopped, tried to stop Arbery. They were armed. They wanted to make a citizen's arrest. 
uh, they wound up shooting and killing Aubrey in a scuffle. You can see in the video Aubrey uh, punching, uh, trying to defend himself. Uh, there's a shot, another shot. He ultimately, he's wearing a white t-shirt. You can see in the video, the shirt begins to be covered in blood as he falls back and dies. Inexcusable. Taking justice like that in your own hands. Believing yourself empowered to do that. And they didn't arrest the guy. One member of, of uh, one prosecutor defended it as uh, as the use of, of a um, of a citizen's arrest. Now this young man is dead, and his family wants justice. If you've ever read the book Praying for Sheetrock, uh, you know about the the racial problems down in southeast Georgia, uh, McIntosh County, Glenn County, and the like. Um, there, there is a history down there. I had to read that book. I want to say I read that book in high school and then had to read it again in college. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a very good book, Praying for Sheetrock. But let, let's not deny that there is still racial injustice in the world. Uh, you know, I'll, I use this anecdote so much, but, you know, Roland Martin, who was at CNN with me for a while, I, I remember... You know, so I, I grew up in the Middle East. We didn't have race relation issues in the Middle East. There were one black family in the school with us. Most of the, the kids were, were American or European, Canadian, lots of Canadians, uh, Pakistani and Indian. There was one black family. Ultimately, I think there wound up being two black families. And... We race was something that it didn't really come up. I knew it in the abstract. I mean, uh, been born in Louisiana. I, I remember distinctly when I was probably six years old, we had flown from Amsterdam to Houston on our way back to Louisiana. And I, I distinctly remember my sisters and me pointing out that there was a black person in the airport. We hadn't seen one and uh, we hadn't seen a black person in, in over a year. And so I'm mindful with myself that that I'm there's a I, I have to work on this. It, it's an abstract issue for me, having grown up in the Middle East, uh, and then to rural Louisiana. I, I graduated from high school uh, where I was in a class that was majority black, but it it just it, it by then it really wasn't an issue. And coming to Macon, going to school uh, at Mercer, it just it wasn't. Mercer was of course one of the the first private schools in the South to integrate. Uh, proudly so so. But I, I'm more and more mindful that there are a lot of friends of mine who don't recognize that there are still problems. Not everyone is racist. And I sometimes think the left tries to weaponize these. Like, I, I think it's very unhelpful on the left uh, to pursue these claims that somehow Republicans are systematically trying to deny people the right to vote uh, when there's really no evidence of voter suppression any more than there is a rampant voter fraud in the country. And both sides try to believe it. And it turns into racial issues inevitably, and it undermines the whole thing. But there are still racial issues in this country. There, there are still, uh, if you're white in this country, the odds of you getting pulled over by police on the interstate is actually less than if you're black driving the same car in the same way. That's just a fact. 
Uh, and, and there's no reason to dispute it, but a lot of people do. They get very defensive of it. Uh, I, it's it's not to say police are racist or anything like that. It, it is just a, a situation in this country that we have to deal with. I have a friend of mine who, when we go anywhere, uh, he prefers me to drive uh, because he says the odds are we're going to get pulled over if he drives. And we get so tribal on these issues that we oftentimes don't recognize it. So this gets me to Roland. I remember where it really hit me uh, as a CNN contributor in 2012. Roland and I were in South Carolina for the Republican debate. We were staying at the Big Marriott in downtown Columbia. Uh, we had actually we'd gone to Charleston for the debate. We drove up to Columbia for another event. Uh, we were in the same hotel with Mitt Romney and his family. And Roland and I were doing a live broadcast at a bar in Columbia. He didn't drink. I did. <laughs> and uh, he was he was driving, and we were waiting for the car to be pulled up, and uh, these tourists came up. We were both in suits, and they started handing Roland their luggage. Now, they were Asian tourists. Uh, they, they weren't American, but it just it struck me as, wow. And there have been incidents like this along the way. I, I distinctly remember being in New York City, standing outside the Hotel Monaco, uh, near Chinatown in Washington, D.C., and there was a man out there by me who was trying to hail a cab who was black, and they wouldn't stop for him. And I raised my hand, and they stopped for me, and I gave him my cab, and, and the cab driver protested. Uh, and so I, I've had these little moments in life where I've seen these sorts of things happen. And there are things I try to be mindful of. Like, for example, the the Michigan protesters, the lockdown movement, many of them carry in firearms, uh, rifles. If that was a Black Lives Matter protest uh, in the Michigan Capitol where they were armed, I, I do think a lot of the people who were uh, who, who were commending the protesters for showing up with arms probably wouldn't view it the same way and they would nuance and try to distinguish and say it was thing, but everybody's got the right to keep and bear arms. And so I, I see this case down in Southeast Georgia and, and frankly, I'm a little bit encouraged by the number of people on the right who are as outraged by it as people on the left. And I got a real concern and fear that people are going to try to capitalize on that and politicize it. And I hope it doesn't get that way. There is, of course, this concern of the rush to judgment. We don't want a rush to judgment, but there still there needs to be a judgment. Justice does need to be done, and this is a tragic situation. It is nice, though, to see the uniform outrage, an outrage over lack of charges, outrage over lack of arrest, uh, outrage that the district attorney feels this needs to go to a grand jury as opposed to being something that the the, the district attorney himself could, could oversee an arrest and press charges, but at least the process is working. We can see the flaws in the process and it's working. We should be outraged over these sorts of things. You know, one of the, the I had this fantastic class on the prophets in seminary. Um, and the, the professor's just, he was fantastic. And we spent a good bit of time on Amos, which is really, it's become one of my favorite books in scripture. Man, there's so much in there. And a lot of conservative evangelicals, they try to avoid Amos these days because so many of the social gospel left-wing people who don't really believe the Bible, but like to, to selectively uh, pick from it for their causes, um, that 
there's so much in there. And, and, and conservative evangelicals, they see the social justice people trying to cite Amos and they kind of avoid it. But, but justice is a real thing. And justice is something that, that all of us should pursue. Justice is not partisan. Justice is blind. Justice is, is about delivering uh, that which is due for penalty under law. You know, I, I actually take comfort in the doctrine of hell because there will be people who escape justice in this lifetime who I know won't escape justice in the next lifetime. And it's it's not up for us to worry about it, but it is up to all of us, I think, to have an obligation to seek justice. And there's a young man who is dead down in Brunswick, Georgia, whose family is seeking justice. And had there not been the outrage and had there not been the YouTube video and had there not been national exposure, they might never have gotten justice. And so I would tread carefully on saying people are thus far politicizing and I have a fear that people will. But I think we also do need to recognize that had the exposure not happened to begin with, there might be no justice in this case. And maybe there are there maybe there is more. And if so, then we have an obligation to get that as well to to avoid the shooter and his son being unfairly besmirched and smeared. It doesn't look like there will be. It looks like it is what it is, and and justice is demanded of this. And I'm sure the media will sweep in and the media will make it all all just even more seedy than it needs to be. But I would still keep my eye on the fact that justice needs to be done in situations like this. And it's unfortunate that so many of these cases require media exposure and YouTube videos and national outrage to get justice done. Uh, we should all be in search of justice. News and in-depth analysis from Eric Erickson, live five days a week and always online at theresurgent.com.